All right. Um, give me just a second here. Get my computer. My computer is like me. It falls asleep and hard to wake it up. <laughs> there it goes. Okay. Oh, you already got it done. Okay. <laughs> All right. This is um, the last lesson on the class I taught, uh, the Bible Institute class I taught, a uh, message, series of messages on the whole armor of God. And this is the very last one. We did not finish it, I'd like to share with you, because it talks about what we are gathered together here for tonight. It talks about prayer. In fact, the, uh, we, there's five Wednesdays in, the month, in August, and uh, four of the five are going to do a series of messages on prayer. How many believe they feel like their prayer needs rejuvenated? Needs a little spark in their prayer life. So we're going to do that beginning tonight. And of course, on the 23rd of this month is the conclusion of our revival services. So one Wednesday will be in revival, but the rest of the time we're going to be focusing on prayer. And so let me share this with you. Um, we've, we've talked about the whole armor of God. And here's what we covered. For those of you that took the class, there are six pieces of the armor. I'll go through those quickly for those who took the class. Then we're going to wrap it up with the very last, what is called the disciplines of a Christian soldier. We talked about the belt of truth. This is what it begins with, to put on the belt of truth. Then we talked about the breastplate of righteousness. Now, this is not in your notes, unless you want to write it down. And we also talked about the shoes of the gospel of peace. Then we talked about the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and last Wednesday night, we concluded talking about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so, uh, tonight, I talk about the very last verse. We saw verses uh, 10 through 17. This is verse 18. It includes, when it talks about the whole arm of God, he says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So basically, Paul concludes, he tells these believers to put on the whole armor of God. Then he talks about six different pieces of armor. Five of them are defensive. One of them is offensive. And the offensive weapon is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Then he concludes with this verse uh, and talks about the discipline of the soldiers. Many believe that praying is part of the uh, armor of God. I do not believe it is. Because he tells that, I believe that prayer is, is vitally important to the soldier, but it's not part of the armor of God. It's something that once you put on the armor of God that you should do to be successful in your spiritual battle. And then he concludes by saying again, praying always. And there's two things here that are essential. And the first one is praying, and the second one is watching. We're going to cover those here tonight. So the disciplines of a Christian soldier, after he puts on the whole armor of God, then he says to pray and to watch. And we're going to look at those here tonight. So first of all, what is the discipline? About the discipline of the Christian soldier, what is discipline? First of all, for the soldier, it's a trained condition of order and obedience. One thing a soldier has to be, to be successful as a soldier in the military, is to be, uh, do things in order and obedient to the one who is his master. But for us tonight, here's what discipline is. Discipline is a routine or a habit, habitual practice, some action that is persistent, ongoing, 
and regular in our lives. And that's one thing prayer should be. We're going to see that first of all, in our discipline and discipline soldiers, prayer. Is prayer a routine in your life? Is it a habit? Is it a habitual practice? Is it an action that is persistently done in your life, ongoing, on regular lives? I've found that many Christians pray only when they're in trouble. When problems come, they pray, but when everything's going well, they see no need of prayer, so they quit. Now, if you think about this, if the only time you and I prayed when we had problems and you were God, what would you do? I would make your life full of problems. <laughs> because God longs us to pray. He wants us to talk to him, wants us to have fellowship with him. And prayer is us talking to God. Bible study is God talking to us. So if the only time you pray is when you have problems, maybe that's the reason your life is full of problems. Because God wants you to pray. And by the way, we should, we should pray when we have problems. Nothing wrong with that. But when everything is going well, we should pray also. That prayer should be a discipline, something we habitually do in our lives. So what are the disciplines of a Christian soldier? Of course, the first one is pray. The first discipline of a soldier is to pray. We saw that in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. So it's something that Christians should do regularly, continually, habitually practice in our lives. We should pray on a regular basis. Two important truths about praying is mentioned here. The first one, the soldier is to always pray, not sometimes, not when things are just going wrong, but always pray. It should be a part of our Christian life. Prayer should be to us spiritually what breathing is to us spiritually, physically. Let me say that again. Prayer should be to us spiritually what breathing is to us physically. And how often do you breathe? All the time. If you kept breathing, what would happen to you? <laughs> you would die. So spiritually, if you don't pray, it has a tremendous impact upon your walk with the Lord. So the Bible said we should pray always. Let me give you some verses on this. Luke 18, 1, Lord Jesus spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought to what? Always pray and not what? Not faint, not give up. That's a parable the Lord gave there, but the purpose of it that men ought to always pray. As we cover these, do these verses describe you? As a Christian, are you in a habit of praying? We give thanks to God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ praying what? Always for you. Again, talking about the consistency in prayer. Another verse, Colossians 1 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And uh, I encourage you to apply that in your prayer life for, for Lou. You know, many of you, most of us know Lou and Kathy, probably the most faithful people in our church. He's a Sunday school teacher deacon for many years, and I do, again, I do not know his condition, how bad the heart attack bothered him, but it evidently was serious. They had to induce a coma because of concern for brain damage from that. So I encourage you, let's not cease to pray for Lou. Pray for him continually. My wife and I have been praying for him constantly since uh, she called, and uh, pray for Kathy again. She, when she called the church office yesterday, she was extremely upset and crying and asked us to pray for her and pray for Lou. Another verse, Colossians 4.2. What's the first word? Continue. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. 
So, again, another verse, Colossians 4.12, always laboring fervently with you in what? You know, the right kind of prayer is work. Uh, it says, always laboring fervently with you for you in prayers. Many people do not pray, because, pray much because it's work. It takes discipline. It takes time. It takes a lot of uh, attention to pray on a regular basis. And refer to here as laboring in prayer. Another verse. Again, I'm showing you many verses that deal with always praying. First Thessalonians 3.10. It says, night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in you. So not only just in the evenings, but night and day praying. And so again, talking about consistently praying, always praying, day and night praying for, um, for our brothers and sisters. And a very familiar verse in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, it says, pray without what? Ceasing. Again, the consistency of prayer is one thing a Christian soldier should do. And by the way, it takes discipline. It takes uh, 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 being assertive and making sure you do that on a regular basis. Another thing about praying, it says the soldier is to pray with all prayer. I'm going to explain that to you. Not only praying always, but with all prayer. Look at the verse again. It says praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Now, what does that mean? Praying with all prayer means with all types or all kinds of prayer. Did you know realize there are different kinds of prayer? Uh, how many of you can name different kinds of prayer? Most of us think of the kind of prayer that we just cry out to God, and that's important. But there's different kinds of prayer. And the Christian soldier is to pray with all kinds, not some kinds, not specific prayers, but all types of prayer. What are the different types of prayer? We're going to cover them. There's six of them tonight. We're going to look at tonight six different types of prayer that the Christian soldier is to employ, incorporate in his life to be uh, successful in his battle spiritual against Satan. Uh, first one is supplication. Supplication is the first kind of prayer. Supplication is petitioning God for your personal needs. Anything wrong with praying for yourself? No. You know, in the Lord's Prayer, give us the Lord uh, the daily needs. And so, now if that's all you pray for, then, then something's wrong. But praying for yourself, praying for personal needs, ought to be a part of your life, not all of part of your prayer life, not all of it. Here are some verses on that. Psalm 55, verse 1. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my what? Supplications. So here David is crying out to God, Lord, hear my prayer. I have specific needs. I have things I need to uh, have in my life to be successful in my walk with you. Lord, hear my prayer. Hide not thyself from my supplication. Daniel 6, 9. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making what? Supplication before his God. So Daniel prayed, even though at this time it was against the law to pray. For a period of 30 days, it was against the law there for praying any other one but the king. But Daniel kept on praying. And of course, they found him praying and threw him in the den of lions. But notice here, praying supplication before his God. And he's praying that God for himself. Another, verse, another uh, type of worship, type of prayer, excuse me, is worship. Worship is another type of prayer. Giving praise and adoration to God for his character. 
I believe this is probably one part of prayer that's left out by so many of us. We constantly focus on ourselves and our needs and our wants, but we never stop to thank God for all he's done for us. And here's a verse on uh, pr praise of worship. Psalm 100 verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, being thankful unto him. Bless his name for the Lord is what? How many believe God is good? The Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth all generations. I think a way of worship is in your prayer time say thank you Lord for being so good to me. Thank you for your faithfulness to me. Thank you for providing for me. Thank you for your mercy, your love, your compassion, and the sacrifice of your son for my sin. And what are you doing? You're worshiping God for all he's done for you. Again, so often we focus on our needs. Nothing wrong with that. That'll be a part of your prayer, not all of your prayer. But worship. How much of your prayer life is, does incorporate worship? Another verse on this. 1 Kings 8, 23. And Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands toward heaven. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven above and earth beneath who keepeth, keepeth covenant and mercy with thy servants that walketh before thee in all their heart. So basically, he said, Lord, there's no one like you. No other God like you. Again, he's talking about how wonderful God is and he's the only one like himself. And again, these are acts of worship. Another one, another type of prayer is intercession. Intercession. Petitioning God in behalf of others. That's what we're doing for Lou Rutkin. We're intervening, interceding in his behalf to God, praying for him and also for Kathy. Petitioning God in behalf of others. Quite often, we get phone calls from people in our church that say, would you pray for my, and they mention a family member like that. And intercede on their behalf. And of course we'll be happy to do that. And I'm glad to do that. But that's part of prayer. Romans 8.26. Likewise the spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we shall pray. For as we ought. But the spirit itself maketh what? Intercession for us. With groanings which cannot be uttered. So notice here the Holy Spirit prays for us. Another verse. Romans 8, 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again, who is even at the right hand of a God, who also maketh intercession for us. We have two persons of the Godhead who prays for us. They pray to the Father. Of course, the Holy Spirit intercedes on your behalf. And Jesus, the Son, prays, intercedes for us. I'm so glad. I think I told you this before. I'm so glad when people tell me, Pastor, I'm praying for you. That means a lot to me. And I'm so grateful for that. But you know to think that Jesus prays for me? Because I know God hears his prayers. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit's prayers. And so he prays for us. Hebrews 7.25 Wherefore he, the Lord Jesus, is able also to save them to the uttermost, to come to God by him, seeing that he ever liveth to make what? Intercession for us. The Holy Spirit prays for us. And Jesus prays for us. Again, intercession. Another type of prayer, thanksgiving, thanksgiving, expressing gratitude for what God has done. How much of your prayer life includes giving thanks? Here's something I encourage you to do. We're going to talk about six types of prayer. And how much of the, uh, your prayer life focuses on any one of those? 
Chances are, for most of us, most of our prayer it focuses on uh, petition, where we, you know, we cry out to God for ourselves. We pray for ourselves, and nothing wrong with that. But that should not be all of your prayer. It should be part of your prayer. How much of your time do you thank God for what he's done for you? Expressing gratitude for what God has done. Psalm 95, verse 2, let us come before his presence with what? Thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto the Lord, him with psalms for the Lord is great God and a great king above all God. So again, come in his presence with thanksgiving. Another one on this, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Again, talking about Thanksgiving, Colossians 4.2. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. So the Bible talks much about giving thanks to God. Another type of prayer is confession. It's confession. Acknowledging and confessing your sin to God. And I believe when you pray, that point ought to be at the very, one of the very first part of your prayer life. What is it sometimes that hinders our prayers? It's sin in our lives. David said, if I regard and in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So if you wait to the end to confess your sins, then he doesn't hear your prayers until you do. Maybe all the prayers you had before you confess your sins, he didn't hear. So I, nothing wrong with beginning that. But so begin your prayer. If there's some sin in your life, you know it's there. Acknowledge it. Confess it to God. And the Bible said he will forgive that. So confession. Here's Psalm 32, verse 5. David said, I acknowledge my sin unto thee. And my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will what? Confess my transgression unto the Lord. And the result was, thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. So confession ought to be right at the very beginning of our prayer time with the Lord. Another one, Psalm, Proverbs 28, 13. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, but whoso what? Confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Again, the need... For confession, 1 John 1, 9, many of you know this verse, probably the most popular verse. I always think of this verse. If there's any verse that if a Christian can wear out, I, wore, I would wear this one out because I use it every single day. If we confess our sin, he is what? Faithful and, Faithful and just to forgive our sins and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Again, my friend, God is faithful and just to forgive. Forgiveness is sometimes only a confession away. And not to man. Many religions have you go before man in some booth, confess yourself to some priest, and ask forgiveness for him. But the Bible said there's only one mediator between us and God, and who's that? The man Christ Jesus. He's the one we need to confess our sins to, and he is faithful and just to forgive. Another type of prayer that many do not realize is if... And I believe this is the sixth prayer, sixth point, is holding God to his word. Holding God to his word. Basically claiming and asking God to fulfill his promises. Claiming and asking God to fulfill his promises. For example, in 1 Kings chapter 8, notice what David did here. Therefore now, Lord God of Israel, keep with thy servant David my father. This is Solomon praying, excuse me. Keep with thy servant David, my father, that thou hast promised him, saying, Thou shalt not fail thee a man in my sight to sit on the throne of Israel. So basically, Solomon 
is claiming a promise God made to David. He said, remember God, you promised my father David there would not be one there would man that would fail to sit upon the throne of Israel. So what was he doing? He was holding God to his word. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, that when if God made a promise to you, there's nothing wrong with you to bring that to God's attention. Not that he forgot it. God does not forget. But by the way, God remembered this. But he reminded God of a promise he made to his father David. Another one, look in Nehemiah chapter 1. Again, holding God to his word. Remember, I beseech thee. And he's asking God to remember. He's speaking to God. Remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant Moses, saying, If ye transgress, I will scatter you abroad among the nations. But if you turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though they there were, though there were of you cast out among the uttermost part of the heaven, yet I will gather them from thence and will, will bring them unto a place that I have chosen to set my name there. Nehemiah is praying. He remembered the promise that God made to his people. That if you forsake me, I will forsake you. And he scattered his people throughout the land. But the promise he made, but if you return to me, I'll return to you. And I'll bring you back into the land. This is the promise Nehemiah was praying. And he was bringing to God's remembrance. Remember God, you told us if we return to you, you, you would bring us back to the land. That's exactly what happened here. And he's praying here. So he's holding God to his word. Now, here's the thing. Here's the promises we can claim when we're praying. Before any further, do you know any promises you can claim when you pray? Let me give you some. Again, God has not forgot these. But it's our way of just holding God to his promises. And here's some of them. Promises we can claim when we're praying. First of all, God's promise to supply our needs. God has promised to supply our needs. Interesting, just recently, my wife and I uh, went on Medicare, and I'll be start drawing uh, Social Security soon. And, and as we look at how much money uh, that I draw from that, and the time comes down the road that if I ever retire, that I live on Social Security, we look at that and say, that's not very much. <laughs> and can we, can we make it on that? And if we look at the amount there and our needs, I can say, well, that's going to be tough. But here's a promise I can claim. And many of you know this. Philippians 4, 19, what does it say? But my God shall supply all your need. Not some of your need. Not most of your need. But all your need according to what? His riches. In glory by Christ Jesus. Now, if I had a lot of money and I knew you needed money, and I said, don't worry about anything. I'll, I'm going to take care of all you need according to my riches. Uh, um, my riches are very, very small. <laughs> and if I said, I take care of you according to my riches, then you have something to worry about. My friend, the Bible said God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And he owns the hills and the taters under them. Amen? <laughs> he owns everything. And he said he's going to supply my need according to his riches. And what a great promise that is. So if you are today and you're on a fixed income and you wonder where money's going to come from and you wonder if you have enough, here's a promise you can claim. God promised that. Say, God, remember, you said this. Another promise you can claim. God's promise to forgive our sins. We saw that already in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he's what? Faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from our righteousness. Let me ask you a question. 
Here's something I want to ask you. If we all have done that, we've all sinned, we've asked God to forgive us, have you ever confessed the same sin twice? In other words, uh, especially the big ones. <laughs> the little small ones you forget about, but the big ones, oh Lord. And something you did yesterday and you knew you shouldn't have done and you've struggled with it and you did it again. And you ask God to forgive you. Did he forgive you? It said he's what? Faithful. And just to forgive. And to cleanse from all righteousness. And so, how many sins would God have to not forgive to be not faithful? Let me ask you this. Ladies, how many times do your husband have to cheat on you and to not be faithful? One time. So, if you confess your sins before God and he did not forgive one, he's not faithful. He is faithful. So basically, many times we confess a sin because we think how bad it is. And we confess it. And the next day, we remember we did that sin again. Though we did not sin again. We remember what we did yesterday and we confess it again. My friend, if God forgave you, and he did, and you confess it again, if God would answer that, you know who he would say? What are you talking about? Because uh, the Bible said when he forgives, he remembers no more. And so, by the way, sometimes our family members won't let us forget. The devil won't let you forget. But my friend, God remembers our sin no more. He's faithful and just to forgive. Another promise, God's promise to comfort us. God's promise to comfort. Many times we have people calling us about a problem in their life and, and how they're hurting because of what's going on. And they just need comfort. And notice in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, Blessed be God, even the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of what? All comfort, who comforteth us in all our what? Tribulation, mean difficulties and problems. So here's a promise where God will comfort us. And so there's nothing wrong with praying, Lord, I need some comfort. The second discipline, we've got to wrap it, speed along very quickly. The second discipline of a soldier is to, in fact, it's 7.59. Why don't we stop right here? Because many of you have children in the back. You need to pick up from Awana. Not Awana, but from, uh, from the Children's Church. And I'm sure the Children's Church director would love for you to do that. <laughs> so we'll take up for the second discipline here. It's talking about the watch. Take up where we left off here for next Wednesday night. Please come back and join us. And we'll continue this next week. Because this may take another 10, minute, 10, 15 minutes or so to cover this part. All right, look up here, please, as we close the service. You know, something I was reminded of this week when Kathy called me about Lou. Because, you know, Sunday, I saw Lou in church. He and Kathy walk into the Sunday school class, and uh, uh, they were fine. And just didn't know maybe the next two days he'd have a heart attack. And I hope he makes it through. We pray he will. But we, you know, we have no promise of tomorrow, do we? And the person you see here tonight may be sitting in front of you, beside you. They may be the next person have some serious problem physically. And so, uh, uh, one thing I try to do every day since I had my heart attack. Not that I didn't do it before. Every day I try to tell my wife when I leave. You know, I tell her, I love you, honey. <laughs> I want her to know that because if something does happen again, I hope that one last thing she might hear from her husband is that I love her. 
But anyway, but you know, more important than that, maybe you're here tonight and you're not certain heaven's your home. You don't have a promise of tomorrow. You may not be here tomorrow. So if you were to die today or on the way home involving a car accident, are you certain you go to heaven? Are you certain you have eternal life? I think that one of the greatest comforts we can have as a Christian is that we can know that we have eternal life. Eternal life is a present possession for all who believe. It's not something we have to hope for or guess oh, I think for. I remember mean, a person asked me as a 26-year-old, 23-year-old man, young man, he asked me, he said, Dave, if you die today, would you go to heaven? And I, you know what answer I gave him is, I, I hope so. I think I will. He said, do you know for certain? I said, no, I don't know. In fact, I didn't know that you could know, but the Bible says you can know that. Let me quickly share it with you and we'll close. If you're here tonight, you're not certain heaven's your home. God made it so simple, even a child can understand. It's not difficult. It doesn't take a brain surgeon to understand the good news of the gospel. Number one, we're all sinners. That means you have sinned, I have sinned, for all have sinned. We've all done things wrong. Nobody's perfect. And because we've sinned, the Holy God of heaven says sin must be punished. The Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. So as a sinner, if you were to pay for your sin, you have to die and go to hell to do it. That's the payment for sin, separation from God forever in a place called hell. And number three, the Bible says your good works won't pay for sin. And so many people today think good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. So they think if I'm going to make it to heaven, I've got to be good. So they're trying to be good enough to earn God's favor, to merit his forgiveness, to get himself to heaven. But my friend, the wages of sin is not good works. The wages of sin is death. So we're all sinners. We all owe penalty. And know what? We can do nothing to save ourselves. We're hopeless. We're bankrupt. But God, in his mercy, saw us in that condition and provided a substitute. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have what? So God saw us in that desperate situation and sent his son to pay the sin debt for us. My friend, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died for you. He died in your place. And the penalty of sin that you've earned from a holy God, he took upon himself. And there on the cross, the Bible said he bore our sin and shame and God punished him for what we've done wrong. He died not for your, some of your sin, not most of your sin. He died for all your sin. Past, present, future. He paid your sin debt in full. He was buried. He rose again. And now God says, I'll forgive you. I'll give you eternal life at the expense of my son. Your part is to trust my son to save you. To receive him as your savior. That's what the word believe means. To trust rely upon. So if you're here tonight and you never trusted Christ, that's the most important thing you can do. If you have, I hope as a Christian that prayer is a major part of your life. And we'll talk more about that next week. Let's bow together, please. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, again tonight I've been speaking to those of you that know Christ as Savior. Wrapping up the message I did the last six weeks on the believer putting on the whole armor of God. As a Christian soldier, one of the disciplines of a successful soldier in spiritual battle is prayer. How much do you pray, Christian? Is prayer a part of your life spiritually as breathing is your life physically? 
And I pray as a result of our messages on prayer this month, that God would reignite a flame in our hearts for prayer, to rejuvenate our hearts towards spending time with him in prayer. But as we close our service tonight, maybe you're here tonight and you're not certain you have a home in heaven. You're not certain that you have a relationship with God even to hear your prayers. My friend, Jesus Christ came to have a relationship with you through, uh, through what he did for you. He died for you. He was buried and rose again. And he offers you forgiveness at his expense. Your part to trust, to rely upon him as your savior. That's where the word believe in him. Believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. To trust him to save you. So if you have trust in him, praise the Lord. Heaven's your home. But if you haven't, why not do that right now as we close our service? Why not talk to him? And place your trust, your dependence upon him to save you. And he will. He'll forgive you. Heaven become your home. And you'll become part of his family. And you can have a relationship with him that you can pray to him on a regular basis. You say, Pastor, I'd like to have that. Then why not tell God that? Why not talk to God right now in your own thoughts? And maybe you say something like this. Just say, dear God of heaven, I acknowledge, I admit that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I have earned your punishment. I deserve to be punished because I'm the one who's done wrong. But God, I believe your son, Jesus, was punished in my place. I believe when he died on the cross, he died there for me. He died in my place to pay for my sin. He was buried, and I believe he rose again. Just like the Bible teaches. And right here tonight, realizing I cannot save myself. I'm trusting Christ to save me. I'm trusting him to forgive me and to give me eternal life. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, my friend, if that made sense to you, and you prayed that prayer to place your trust in Christ as your Savior, my friend, the promise of God to you is eternal life. Heaven's your home. Father in heaven, I hope that means that if someone did that tonight, they would understand they have eternal life. Heaven is now their home. They've been forgiven. And that you are now their father and they are your child. And they have a relationship with you. They can pray to you and you will hear their prayers. And Father, we pray that no one will leave here without making that decision to trust you. Father, thank you for prayer. Thank you for the time we can spend with you to cast your cares upon you. Because you care for us. Father, go with us now. we we'll go our separate ways. Bring us back Sunday. And again, next Wednesday, we continue our study on this wonderful thing called prayer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.